Hey, this is Adam Penapinto. I'm the pastor here at Hope Covenant Church, and I'm so glad that you're joining with us today. Whether this is your first time listening or you're a part of our Hope Covenant Church family, we would love to connect with you via social media on all social media outlets or on our website, hopecovenant.cc. I hope this word encourages, inspires, and challenges you in your daily walk with God as we dig deeper into His Word. Let's jump right into today's message. Let's pray. Father, here we are in your presence this morning, and we ask you for a word from heaven. We ask you for a lasting deposit. Everyone in the building, everyone watching online, everyone who'll hear this message later, bring it to specific application in each of our lives. Give us ears to hear. Give us a heart to receive and respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Romans chapter 4, as we were worshiping, my heart just shifted over to this theme. If you need a message, it's a simple, I need a message title, it's very simple. Good things take time. Good things take time. Romans chapter 4, beginning in verse 13, Paul writes, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, meaning the Jew, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, meaning all believers. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist." Now, I want you to consider this as as we read on, that if you're a Jewish person, if you're a Christian, if you're a Muslim, that all three religious groups look to Abraham as their father. All are considered to be children of Abraham. That's how vast his influence is. And spiritually speaking, even naturally speaking, that's how massive his offspring is. And yet for most of his life, There were no children. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. And it seems that the longer things went on without offspring, the greater God's promises became. That the more things looked impossible the more God told them the amazing things to come. It would be as if God promised me when I was 18 that I would be a top basketball player, despite the old saying, white men can't jump. (laughs) And let's say I carried this promise, and now I'm 30, and I've never been noticed by any league, and I'm not even good enough to play in college, and And God says, not only will you be a basketball player, you'll be an NBA star. And now I'm 40, and and 
each year that goes by and I'm getting older and it's more impossible and more ridiculous, the promise is getting greater until by the time I'm 60, you'll be the greatest player in the history of the NBA. At a certain point, you have to think, I'm making this up. God's not really speaking. I'm just dreaming. This is crazy. At a certain point, you have to accept reality and say it's not going to happen but God. But God did tell Abraham those things. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. Now, there there are two ancient Greek textual traditions. One says that he did not consider his own body, In other words, he didn't look at the fact that he was 100 years old, and instead he just trusted God. The other, as we have here, says that that he did consider his body, didn't weaken. It's the same thing either way. In other words, his reality was determined by what God said. His reality was determined by the promise of God and, and not by the physical and natural conditions. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That's really the only issue. Is God able to do what he promises, and what did he promise? That's that's the only thing in terms of determining reality. The problem is, every one of us knows someone who's a spiritual flake. Every one of us knows someone that lives in spiritual fantasy land. And every one of us at some point in our lives has thought we heard the Lord on something to only to realize it really wasn't the Lord. So how can we be so sure? Unless it's a written promise in the Bible, can we really be so sure? The answer is yes. And I'll tell you how in a moment. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words that was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. There's something that God is after that is very precious that can only happen in this world. Nancy and I have often talked about that, the the world to come and the glories of the world to come and perfect fellowship with God and the glorious presence of God at all times and no sickness or pain or or death or grief. It's going to be beyond anything we could imagine. And yet there are things that happen in this world that are precious to God because they're only in this world. There is a faith that gets developed. There is a trust There is an enduring through hard times. And if if you're like most people, like me, you would rather not go through crucifixion to get to resurrection. (laughs) If if there's a way around it, that would be wonderful. You know, the, the old saying, you know, if you work out, no pain, no gain. And you've got all these little sayings to, to remind yourself that it's worth going through this. It's worth going through the process to come out on the other end. It yeah, it is. Yeah. When I was a boy, my father said to me, you're good in math, right? I said, yeah. He said, okay. He said, 
I want to get the answer to this. He said, you're, you're on the elevator, going upstairs, and three people get on with you. And then he goes through this whole thing. You go up to the third floor, four people get on, two people get off. You go up to the sixth floor, one person gets on. You go up to the eighth floor, four people get on. Goes through the whole thing, and I'm calculating this many, this many, this many. We get to the end, and he says, how many stops did the elevator make? I was, I was calculating something entirely different. I had the right numbers. That was the joke of it. That was the trick of it. A lot of times we think that God is after this, whereas the whole thing is something else entirely. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I, I was talking to this professional wrestler that I work out with, seriously. Loves the Lord, godly man. And, and my sons-in-law and grandsons were, were there. And our younger grandson, about to turn 18, is, is a fireman already as his dad was all his life and then wants to go into the marines and and the wrestler had served in the marines after 9-11 enlisted and he was talking about boot camp and talking about what you go through and said what they're looking for is mental toughness in other words when they're testing you and and how you do with this exercise and this it's not so much to see how physically fit you are because they'll get you physically fit it's to see what's going on on the inside so there are often things that God is after, and, and we're looking at the end goal and the final thing, and he's looking at development of our character, yeah, development of our faith, trusting him in, in the midst of difficult circumstances, praising him and glorifying him no matter what. Abraham's faith, strength, faith is strengthened as he glorifies God, as he praises God despite what his eyes see despite the realities of his body and his wife's body. And, and again, as, as things get worse, as they're getting older, the promises get more intense. Yeah. Good things take time. It's extraordinary that, that the whole battle in Abraham's life is over the sea, right? And, and God gives him these words about how the whole world will be blessed through his seed when he's 75 years old, so he's already an old man, and it's clear he and his wife can't have children, and yet it takes 25 years before the promise comes to pass. Wow. Wow. So by the time it comes to pass, there's, there's no earthly hope anymore. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's, there's no rational way around it. It'd be like I'm 98 years old in a nursing home, and it takes me a half hour to, to get from, from my bed to the wheelchair, and this is when the promise is about to be realized of basketball stardom. I mean, it's, it's that ridiculous and that impossible. And, and God stretches them. Who can imagine the emotions that they went through? And of course, they do what most of us would do. They try to make it happen on their own, hence Ishmael. Hence, another son from someone other than Sarah. Yes, a son of Abraham, but not the promised son. How many times do we do that and exhaust all possibilities until we're left with God? There's no earthly solution. God. One of my friends, pioneer messianic leader, had a congregation and felt that he was supposed to go to a particular conference Figured out exactly what he needed to get there, literally to the penny for all his expenses, as frugally as could be. Just shared it with the congregation in, in the most understated way. They received some funds from him, and literally, it came to the penny. 
the exact amount he had calculated. There was another guy that wanted to show the great faith that he had. And he's walking around telling other people, yeah, the Lord called me to go to this conference. I'm going to this conference. God spoke to me to go to this conference. In other words, I have no money, and I'm hinting to try to get you to give money. <laughs> and here this Messianic leader, my friend, he's like, yeah, this guy's looking at him as if he's got no faith at all. You watch, the Lord's going to do this. The Lord's going to provide and, and putting out all these hints, and he's not getting any money from anybody. And my friend is there at the airport, literally. So my friend, the one that supposedly has no faith in the exact amount, came in that he needed. And uh, there's the other guy, and he's going to get, he's walking up to buy his tickets, looking around for the miracle at the last minute. Who's going to come and put the money in his hand? My friend's watching just to see what happens, and goes to get the tickets, and the woman says, is this cash or credit? And he sheepishly pulls out a credit card. In other words, all of his plans didn't work out, so he's going to put it on his credit card. I mean, we'll, we'll do that. We'll find another way to make it happen and to bail God out when he doesn't come through at our appointed time. <laughs> but it doesn't work like that. And it's amazing to see what happens after this. Isaac and Rebekah. The promise is renewed to them, and you read it in, 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 in the book of Genesis, the 25th chapter, and Rebecca couldn't have children, and Isaac prayed, and she conceived. You know how long it took? 20 years. It's a couple of verses, just boom, like that, no big deal. No, 20 years. The test there, and then the battle with Jacob and Esau. The kids that she has and the battle over the inheritance, this thing is contested. Why? Because this was the promise of God. And then when you go through history, the line of David through which the Messiah is going to come, the attack at one point, every male heir of David, royal heir, is killed by the queen. Only one left, a little boy. Why? Because this is the promise. When you get to Luke's gospel and the the first and second chapters, and, and you read there about the birth of the Messiah, and, and you read about Anna, who's been in fasting and praying for decades and decades. You read about Simeon. He's been waiting for the consolation of Israel, finally ready to die. You know how many decades they prayed and they wept, wow. and they cried, and they waited? And how many came before them, and the promises weren't realized? If you have a real promise from God, I, I mean something of serious substance, not just the Lord showed me it's not going to rain tomorrow. I, I, I mean something that's a life promise. I mean something that's a life calling. I mean something that's a life burden. I mean something that the Lord brings back to you over and over and over again. It will be tested. It's the very nature of the thing. It will be tested so we can grow in grace. It will be tested to, to take us away from depending on ourselves or our own ability and learning to trust God alone. Yeah. It will be tested because Satan doesn't want it to come to pass because there are consequences to God's promises. Yeah. Yeah. You say, well, but how do I really know if it's God? Because when you have a relationship with God and it comes up over and over and over again, you can't deny it. That's good. That's good. When you think it's dead, it's buried, it's over, and it keeps coming back up, what can you do but say, God, you promised. Yeah. Yeah. And God loves it when we hold him to his word. 
I've often shared this story, but when our daughters were, were little, we're living in Maryland then, we're having dinner one night, and I said, hey, when I come back from the office tomorrow, why don't we go out and get ice cream? Okay, we're going to get ice cream. That was just casually said it. Let's get ice cream tomorrow. Okay. Well, the next day, my schedule changed a little, and I realized, you know, I've, I've got to go back out. We're not going to have as much time as I thought. It's going to be a little rushed. And so I said, to the, I said to the girls, hey, we'll have a little more time tomorrow. So this is the next day now. Why don't we go out tomorrow and get ice cream instead? Instantly, crocodile tears pouring down their cheeks. But, Daddy, you promised. As I recall, I made a passing remark. As I remember, I made a casual remark, namely, hey, why don't we go out and get ice cream? That was the extent of it. But they began, Daddy, you promised. Tears pouring down their cheeks. The world was going to collapse at that moment if I didn't do it. Now, of course, in those days when I ate ice cream, I thought, I certainly wanted the ice cream that day. It wasn't a sacrifice. But the bigger thing to me was I thought to myself, if they can't trust their earthly father, how are they going to trust their heavenly father? If I can't prove trustworthy. But I remember when, I, when that happened, and I, I, I've seen that over and over. Our tears up to God, but God, you promised. God, you promised. He loves when we do that, when we hold them to his word. Something precious, something deeper is being developed. Even more important than the promise is the trust. Even more important than the thing coming to pass is our growth in grace and our coming into a greater place of confidence in God. I want to show you something that's ministered a lot to me from the psalm. Psalm 105. Psalm 105, and it's talking about Joseph in prison. So remember, he's, he's 17 years old when he's sold into captivity. And he's had these great dreams that all his brothers are going to be bowing down to him. He's going to be this exalted figure. Even his mother and father are going to bow down to him. And he has the wisdom of, of a teenager, but the promises of a great man of God. They often don't work together well. So what does he do as an excited teenager? He, he tells his brothers about this dream and how he's going to be greater than all of them. And already, because he's, he's born to Jacob in his old age, already he's, he's favored, gets special treatment. So this is all the brothers need to hear. So in anger and envy, they, some want to kill him, others, let's just get rid of him, sell him into slavery in Egypt. Just horrific. So, so here he is with the promises, and, and now he's, he's working in someone's home as a, as a servant. He becomes so trustworthy in the home of Potiphar that, that he's entrusted with everything, and the guy's wife tries to seduce him, and, and he refuses to yield. So she claims that he tried to rape her, so now the husband's enraged and throws him in prison. So he gets thrown in prison for doing what's right, he gets thrown in prison for standing for honor and integrity and, and, and not dishonoring his master. So for not dishonoring his master, his master throws him in prison. Now, now, now look at this. Look at the, the state of things here. Verse 16. 
When he, God, summoned the famine on the land and broke all supply of bread, he had sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. So, so the brothers meant it for evil. We read it in Genesis 50, but God intended it for good. Many people may have evil designs. Satan certainly has evil designs against us. There may be people who want to hurt you, destroy you, take advantage of you, but if your life is yielded to God, what people mean for evil, God can use for good. But notice God sent him. His feet were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron. Think of that. You're in a dungeon. You're going to die there. You're an outsider. It's not like, well, I'm, I'm going to call my lawyer. There's no lawyer to call. Uh, I'm going to reach out to an international community standing for justice. There's no one to reach out to. You're a foreigner. You committed a crime, tried to rape a woman. That's what they think. You're going to rot and die in that prison in Egypt. There you are with a shackles, feet shackled, arms shackled, collar on your neck. His feet were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron. Until what he had said came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. What an incredible word. Until what he said came to pass, namely that he was going to be highly exalted. Remember, in one moment of time, he goes from the dungeon to Pharaoh's right-hand man. I mean, picture it today. You you go from death row to the vice president of the United States in a single day. (laughs) Except the vice president who actually has power to do all kinds of things. But until that happened, the very words that God gave him tested him. The very promises that God spoke to him tested him. I mean, think of it. You're you're, you're there as a prisoner. It's miserable enough to be there as a prisoner. It's miserable enough to think, this is my destiny. I'm going to die here. But what about the promises? Those things are going to haunt you. Joseph, what about that word? You say, well, how long did it take? He gets out of prison when he's 30. So basically, his entire older teenage life and entire adult life, he's been spending as a slave or as a prisoner. Period. No right to self-determination, no ability to set his future, his, his family thinking he's dead, out of sight, out of mind. How is anybody going to find him even if they're looking for him? No one's come from all these years. No one's coming for you, buddy. The very promises that God gave test him. What about all those words, Joseph? What about all those dreams? Oh, yeah. You're going to be big shot, famous, superstar. Brothers are going to bow down in front of you. Your dad's going to bow down in front of you. Oh, you are the man, Joseph. Maybe skin ripped off his flesh from the shackles. Miserable diet. Who can imagine the living conditions? What about all those promises? And and in prison, you probably have a lot of time to think. And you think a lot about all those words. 
And you probably go through different phases. First phase could be, I never heard from God, just dreams. Just made it up. It wasn't really God. Then you think, it was God, but I wasn't supposed to say anything. If I didn't open my stupid mouth, everything would have been fine. But I blew it. It was God, but I spoke prematurely. Or another thing. What was the Lord? But you exaggerated. You, Joseph, you've always been an exaggerator. He never showed you. He just showed you that your brothers would think you were cool, and you just made it into this whole thing, and then they got mad at you. Or, no, it was the Lord, but you were supposed to fast, and you were supposed to pray. Right. And there was a window of opportunity, but you didn't fast, and you didn't pray, so it didn't happen. Yeah. And you go through the cycle. I didn't hear God at all. But then you realize, no, no, I know when that happened. I remember how it happened. I know it was God. I can't shake it. And then as you spend time in his presence, it comes up again and again and again and again. I've had things God has spoken to me over the years that seem very intense and in the natural, outlandish, and even impossible. And, and, and I'll go to pray, and I'll get tremendously gripped and burdened and, and write down what I feel burdened to pray for, a promise that, that God has given me in calling and ministry. And, and I'll write it out a certain way, and I, it's as if the first, at the first time I've ever heard it, but I know it's, I've heard it before. And I'll go back from my journal, because I journal things, key prayers and promises, and just, you know, real short, the events of the day. I've been journaling for years. And I've gone back and seen the identical prayer and the identical word year in, year out, year in, year out. My, my only conclusion was either God promised me this or I've lost my mind. You know, you put the thing down. You think, okay, I was just dreaming. It's not going to happen. And next thing you have the dream again. I don't know if you, you know about the, the birthing of Reinhard Bonnke's ministry. But as a boy, he feels his calling to be a missionary. His father's a Pentecostal pastor. He feels a call to be a missionary. His father does not affirm it, does not believe that's his calling. Father ultimately feels he should just be a pastor in Germany, and he gets his calling. He knows he's called to be a missionary to Africa. He goes without his, his father's affirmation on the calling. He'd play accordion, and sing gospel songs on street corners to draw a crowd. He's, he's in the, the little African country of Lesotho. He, he has a meeting with five people in the meeting. This would be a crowd compared to his meeting. Five people in a hut. He preaches his heart out. He gives an altar call, and nobody responds. Nobody he goes back to his room that night and has a dream. And in the dream, he sees a blood-washed Africa from Cape Town in the south to Cairo in the north. Remember, he's, he's preached to five people that night, and nobody responds. He's reaching a handful of people with the gospel. He sees the map 
blood-washed Africa, and he, and he hears the voice saying, Africa shall be saved. And he gets up the next morning and thinks, oh, it must have been something I ate. It's, it's completely ridiculous. It's outlandish. Who could even think something like that? And why would God show him? But God gives him the dream four straight nights till he knows that he knows it's the voice of God. And after that, everyone he sees and begins to talk to, have you heard? Africa shall be saved. Africa shall be saved. I remember hearing him preach in 84 as, as the crowds were getting bigger and bigger, and he preached to 80, 90,000 people. And it was amazing to see what God was doing. And I mean, who knew what would come with the literally tens of millions, scores of millions that would be saved, and, and it keeps increasing, the numbers increasing. And one of our spiritual sons taking over his ministry and doing amazing things, extraordinary things as, as monkeys with the Lord. But, but the very promise comes at the most absurd time. Yeah. Yeah. The promise comes when he's hit a wall and he's a nobody in nowhere doing nothing. Yeah. That's who the promise comes to. There's only one place you can put your faith, God. Because all your best efforts haven't done a whole lot. And many times God's waiting for us to get to that point, not just of dependence, but of desperation. Because there's the, the combination of, of the lack of human effectiveness, no matter what we do, combined with a burden and calling to see God move. And it produces not just dependence, but desperation because you're burdened as if you're carrying a child and it's time to deliver, but there's no strength to deliver. Youngi Cho just went to be with the Lord this year. I preached at his church a few years ago, my last time in Korea. Visited there, my first time in Korea was just blown away by what I saw, the, the extraordinary scope of the work at that point. If, if I'm correct, at that, at that moment when I, when I visited the first time in 1990, his church network, so his direct congregation there in, in Yoido Full Gospel, and then the churches that on Sunday would as soon as the message would be preached, because they had like seven or eight services on Sunday, as soon as the first message would be preached, they'd take it on videotape, and then it would be raced out to all the other congregations that were part of his network. I think until you hit 10,000 people and had your own building, you were part of that network. I, I believe at that point, the church that he pastored then totaled about 700,000 people. Yeah. And, and I heard him share this himself when he had this vision and, and God spoke to him about having 3,000 people. And he's preaching under a tent, literally with three people. Him, his wife, and his mother-in-law. Three of them. And, and he'd preach his heart out. His mother-in-law would say, why are you yelling at us? Why are you screaming at us? He'd preach his heart out. And he said they fasted a lot in those days, not because they were so spiritual, because they had no money for food. 
And with each phase, when he gets to this number, then God promises something else. And in each one seems impossible. And each one seems ludicrous. And then in the midst of all the church growth and things moving forward, he has a heart attack. And he's laid up in bed in the hospital. And that's when God gives him the vision about small groups and empowering women. And as I say, the rest is history. God's ability coming out of our inability. God's strength coming out of our weakness. God's possibilities coming out of our impossibilities. Some of us are hard to kill. And we keep bouncing back with our own energy and our own ability and our own strength and our own wisdom. In other words, the flesh rather than learning to depend on his wisdom and ability and strength. And then out of that, he works fully through us. Out of that, all the gifts are manifest. And the things he put in us come to full realization. Some of the folks in this room here know this story personally from me. But in, in 1983... Early spring of 1983, I was overwhelmed in prayer, and God spoke to me that I'd be part of a revival. I understood leading right in the middle of it, part of a revival that would touch the world. You have to realize that that moment, we had been through a, a very challenging time. God had gotten hold of me, and through me, brought an outpouring to the church that I was part of. And, and many were radically changed. I was radically changed. I had gotten intellectually, theologically proud, and even though I was a committed believer and, and we were living in, in, a, in a sacrificial Christian way as a family, I had left my first love. The fire fell in my life, and out of that touched many in the congregation. Dramatic baptisms of the Spirit, deep repentance. This was at a congregation that was barely charismatic. And, and we had an outpouring that lasted three months and six days, and it, it was a marvel to see what happened. But then the pastor who had stepped down because of challenges in his own life came back prematurely, sided with the people that were against what the Spirit was doing, removed me from doing ministry. And then ultimately, when everyone sided with the pastor, I said, well, the only right thing for me to do then is to, is to resign because I was, I was an elder and son, adult Sunday school teacher. So we hugged, I resigned, and that was that because I couldn't support him. Left the church then some other people came and said, well, we're going we're gonna to get rid of the pastor now. We're going to move him out and t take over. I said, you don't do that. You had an opportunity to vote. You stood with him. Now you need to submit to him or leave. So he turned around and told the pastor, Mike Brown's telling me to leave the church. I was doing it to protect the pastor. I was doing it to do the honorable thing. So now, as a result of that, we got excommunicated. Literally, excommunicated. So... so our friends won't even talk to us. I mean, literally excommunicated. I, I remember a guy whose vehicle broke down near our house and came in, needed to use our phone to make a call days before cell phones. But, but you know, it was a battle for him to come into the house because we were excommunicated. No one could talk to us. I'm, I'm serious. And I'm not exactly, it happened the way I'm telling you. So here I am now, immediately reached out to another leader, immediately looked to a, another pastor Especially then, you know, this is decades back, and I want to make sure I'm accountable in every area of my life and in relationship with the local church. But it's a difficult time. And in the midst of this, excommunicated, 
from my old home church. The Holy Spirit falls on me in prayer. And I'm in deep travail, deep travail, groaning and agonizing in prayer. And that's when the Holy Spirit says to me, as an excommunicated, unknown guy, finishing my PhD, laying on the floor of my study at home, groaning in prayer, that's when he speaks to me about serving in a revival that'll touch the whole world. Well, what's the first thought that's going to come to your mind if you're a normal person? You're crazy. <laughs> you're making this up. You're deceived. They're right. There is something wrong with you. Those are the first thoughts that hit me. I read a little bit about William Branham and how he thought he was Elijah the prophet. And same with John Alexander Dow. I mean, these men of God who, who went off at the end of their lives, they both thought they were Elijah. And, and that's what happened. You're, just, you're like them now. You're deceived. But the more I pray the more intense it would get and the more God would move on me. So, so I thought, oh, okay, I've, I've got to share this with other leaders. So, so I went to the, the man that was the pastor of this new church I was part of. And I knew he believed in me and affirmed me and saw the call of God on my life. And I, I told him about this word. And he said to me, do you journal? I said, no. He said, we need to start journaling. Yeah. And then he rebuked me. He said, don't you ever go to man about what God has told you. Wow. 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 Oh, hang on, hang on. This guy likes me. This guy's for me. He believes in me. In fact, this was the guy that even had a word about me going to teach at a Bible school that had just opened on the island called Christ for the Nations where we ended up moving to a place right near a couple named Gary and Cindy Panapinto. And as they say, the rest is history. I, I thought, here's what I need to do. I need to go to an elder, respected leader, who is against me. A consulting elder, a man of God, highly respected, that was working with the church that excommunicated me. It's like an outside elder that they looked at. I need to go to him and share this with him because he, right now, does not think the best about me. So I call him on the phone. But I don't have the heart to tell him God's spoken to me that I'm going to be involved in a revival that touches the world. So I just said, America. He responds and says, first, the only thing that matters is not what people say, but the roll call in heaven, what God says. In other words, the same thing the other guy just told me. And then he says to me, why just America? Why not the whole world? I carried that for years. And, and, and perhaps somewhat like Joseph, speaking prematurely or perhaps just speaking out of the overflow of my heart, out of faith. I would tell folks, we'd sit in our, in our home in Long Island, and I'd tell them what was going to happen. I'd tell them I'm going to be in this revival. It's going to touch the world. And, and, and even though looking back from, from 83 to 96, when, when the promise is realized and God calls me to, to serve in the midst of the Brownsville revival, even though looking back it seems like I, it was quick, when it's 13 years of your life, when, when, when you're expecting it to happen much more quickly 
When for years, everywhere I'd go and preach, I'd wonder, is this where it's going to begin? Is something going to happen? You have a lot of times to question. You have a lot of time to wonder. And then what often happens is God will give you supernatural confirmation at the beginning, and then not for a while. <laughs> I mean a while. So he, he makes it clear, yes, this is me. Yes, these are my promises. Yes, this is real. You know, you know, you may get prophetic confirmation from others, circumstantial confirmation. God speaks it to you again. What you often have to realize is the more he confirms, the more intense the test is going to be. The more he gives you the promises. Think of Gideon. Gideon keeps saying, well, Lord, how about, how about this? A uh, little more confirmation. How about one more confirmation? Well, once God confirmed it the way he did, he said, okay, now I'm really going to test you. You know, I've often joked about this, but, you know, I fly all the time and have enjoyed flying for years. Never think about something negative is going to happen, something bad is going to happen on the flight. But, but just imagine if, if on the way to the airport, one of my most faithful prayer warriors sends me a text, Dr. Brown, don't worry about this flight. Everything's going to be fine. Actually, I wasn't worried about the flight at all, <laughs> to be honest. I was really thinking about it. Next thing, the phone rings. One of our ministry team members, Dr. Brown, I was praying, and the Lord just told me, don't, don't worry about this flight. Things are going to be okay. By the time you get the fourth message about that, you're kind of wondering, do I even want to go near this plane? <laughs> well, it's the same way when you get these promises and God speaks it again and again and confirms it again and confirms it again. It's going to be tested. It's going to be tested. And often to the degree of the promise, that's the degree of the testing. Good things take time. Here, let's, let's say you're a 10-year-old girl in a big family, and, and you, you want to be married and have kids, and the Lord shows you you're going to be married you're going to have 12 kids, and these 12 kids are going to grow up to be missionaries, university leaders, business leaders, homeschool pioneers, whatever, all this amazing stuff. Well, best case scenario for that to come to pass, even with everything going smoothly, that's going to take decades. First, you have to grow up to be old enough to be married, then meet the right person, then start having children, even if you have a couple of twins along the way. There's going to be years and years to have all the children, then to raise all the children, then for the children to go on to their destiny. It's, it's multi-years, decades and decades. Many of the things that God's promised us and spoken to us, if they, if they happened the moment they were spoken, we wouldn't be ready. We wouldn't be in the right place. I've been working with a young man young in my terms, uh, late 30s now, reached out to me seven years ago, was doing youth ministry, traveling, speaking, served as a youth pastor in a couple of mega churches and really got burned along the way, been betrayed, been through a lot of difficult, challenging things for a young man in ministry. People close to him turned against him. And he reached out to me, see me on Piers Morgan, and felt that we were supposed to connect and asked if I would be a mentor in his life. So obviously, if you're in public ministry and you're known, people reach out to you, and you're, you're just not able to, to take people in in that way. Normally, if someone came through our school and I got close with them, that would be the best opportunity. 
But his email made it all the way up to to the chain to to Cindy, our administrator, and and she said, Mike, I I think this is something you should look at. So I prayed, actually went to Nancy and said, what do you think? You feel I should get involved with it? And we all felt, yes. So I said, yeah, sure. So he, he flew up to meet me. We'd spend time, he'd call me with questions and issues. I'd just answer and pour into him. I wasn't looking for anything from him, not expecting any payback of any kind, just someone God wanted me to connect with. And, and then as the years went on, went and worked at another church, and that didn't really fit, and I was hoping this would happen, and that didn't happen, and then God puts in his heart to plant a church. We, we weren't thinking anything like that at all. It was when, when, I, when I first met him and began to pour into him, not a thought about that. And there are other key men of God that God had put in his life that were speaking into his life. And then he feels called, has this launch plan for some period of time, launches a, a, a church using some other rented facilities. The place is packed out, hundreds and hundreds of people coming. And there's a building worth, well, it's a campus, you know, on those... You drive by down the highway and the, you, you see the big church building right by the freeway or the high, you know, just one of these big conspicuous places. And it's worth well over $20 million, seats several thousand people. Then there's a school with hundreds of kids and this, this whole campus, I mean, is perfectly placed. Everybody sees it driving through, but the congregation is very old now and it's difficult to maintain the place. And, and this young man, man of fasting and prayer, normally starts the first month of every year fasting and seeking God. And he says to me, Dr. Brown, I believe God is going to give us this campus. This is a church plant, barely a year old. I believe God's going to give us this campus. And he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to fast for 40 days. I feel led every day just going to drive around the, the parking lot like a Jericho march kind of thing. And then after 40 days, I'm going to go in and wash the pastor's feet and ask him to give us the campus. So he texts me, Dr. Brown, I'm about to go in and do this. Not long after, well, they, they have a mortgage still on the building, about $4 million, but it's worth well over $20 million. So the church meets, talks, says, we believe this is the Lord. And if you can come up with the money for, the, for the, the mortgage that we owe, the whole campus is yours. Their problem now is, is that even with three services on Sunday and a Spanish service on Saturday night, they have no room to put all the people. They're two and a half years old with thousands and thousands and thousands of people coming. They, one guy during COVID last year gets a burden to help people that don't have food. So he opens up his garage and starts giving away food to people in the community. So this pastor said, what could you do if you had the whole energy of the church behind you? So they put him in charge. They have a warehouse, a massive facility in the back of the building. They start gathering food to give out to needy families in the city. Next thing, people... In the area here, what they're doing, stores and others start donating food from fresh meats to stuff that lasts. They set things up two days a week where long lines of cars come by and they fill the car with with 30 days worth of food. 
three meals a day, so some fresh stuff, some that'll last. And then they pray for the people if you have any need, and they're all weeping together and stuff. They, they, they're still doing this to this day because people are still challenged. That's the, in fact, the Hispanic church was birthed out of that. Total meals they had given away earlier this year was over 75 million. Wow. The number one in, in their city, in a substantial city in Texas, in terms of food provider, giving away food. It's just crazy. And now other ministries, they've started from fighting human trafficking to a school and other things. And I think, boy, this guy went through a lot. And he went through a lot of challenges. And sure, he's got the burden of ministry, everything they're carrying now. But look at what God did. The testing was there, and the pain was there, and the betrayal was there, and, and all that stuff. And, 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 and I, I told them through all of it, I said, I, I never questioned your story once. When you would share what was happening, I, those, I never made calls. Is this true? Is this? I never investigated. I, I just trusted it was the Lord, and I trusted his heart. And we were smiling about that the other day, about just and the, the funds that are flowing in and the monies they're able to pour into other ministries, it's shocking. It's just shocking. And I said, you know, this is, when I was talking to students in the ministry school, I said, you have to realize what's happening here is is an outlier. This is an exception. But you have to realize that that there was pain getting here, that there was a process getting here, that there were the years of rejection and difficulty, and and we were talking about that and smiling, and we were saying, yeah, I hope a lot of that got loaded up front. A lot of the hardship and the difficulty. Because he went through it. But the degree he went through it, all the more degree is he being blessed. Supernaturally so. When I was in the midst of the Brownsville Revival, folks that knew me from Long Island, they would visit the services and and they'd they'd say, you you told us this was going to happen. We talked about it in your living room. You said this was going to happen. But I tell you, before it did, Numerous times, I went through everything I just talked about Joseph going through. It wasn't really God. It was God, but you exaggerated. It was God, but you didn't fast and pray enough. It was God, but you sinned, or you opened your mouth, or whatever it was. But the more I'd spend time with God, the more the promises would come up. And you want to know the craziest thing of all? When you go through this, when God comes through as promised... When he does the things he said he was going to do, you say to yourself, I will never go through that process again. In other words, the next time around, I won't have the questions. The next time around, I I won't wonder. The next time around, I I, I won't go through that process. Well, you blew it, or you didn't fast it. Well, it really wasn't God. Well, you exaggerate, whatever. I won't go through it because God has made himself so abundantly clear and, he, and he's so proven that he's faithful to do what he promised. I could never go through this again. The only problem is, when the next season happens, you're older. When the next season happens, situations have changed. When the next season happens, the promises are even bigger. And, and to this moment, and I'm going to bring this to a close shortly. To this moment... I'm contending for things that God has spoken to me for years, that if not for him repeatedly bringing them back to me, I would have just said, it's too late. 
or its expiration date passed. And, and it's an interesting thing when, when God gives you promises. I don't mean do this today and you'll be blessed. But I mean general promises for your life. It's rare that there's an expiration date on them. I mean, we put dates on them. We, we think this. You know, it's, it's almost like the, the food in the container there. It says sell by this date. And when we put that on, on ourselves and in certain seasons, well, it would have to happen by now. Humanly speaking, yes. Logically speaking, yes. But not from God's perspective. So I, I want to encourage you to go back to things that God has promised you, not just once, but repeatedly. It could be for yourself. It could be for a family member. It could be for something larger on a national level. Those things you can't shake. Now, some in the room are young. Some are, some are older. But there are things he's given, promises, words, things he's spoken, that to the best of your ability to, to say, I know that I know that I know, to the extent you can say, I know God, I know he's promised this, this it, it, he spoke it. It's from God. Go back. Maybe, you, maybe you've kind of lowered the thing, kind of rationalized it. You know, go back to me as an NBA player. I figured out that what it is is that one day I'm going to tour the NBA Hall of Fame. I'm gonna, they're going to wheel my wheelchair through. No, that wasn't the promise. Oh, no, I know. I'm going to be a commentator. I'm going to, I'm going to call a game. Well, I'll be a guest commentator one day to, to call a game at a local high school. That's, no, that wasn't it. Maybe you've watered it down and, and lowered it. That, that's, that's diminishing God. Yeah. That's saying, God, you're really not that big. I've got my vision, plus God is a little bigger. No, no, no. That's not how it works. It, it's our complete inability and God's total ability, therefore, all things are possible to him who believes. And the years of testing and the years of pruning, that, that, that purges away the flakiness. And that builds character. And we demonstrate, God, I'm going to love you and serve you no matter what. I'm going to love you and serve you. If, if I'm promised to be a king, I'm going to love you and serve you, digging ditches just the same. And, and if you call me to be a king, I'm going to honor the ditch diggers when you do. Take hold of the promises and contend for the promises. I can assure you of this, that to the extent we contend for the promises, to that extent we'll see them come to pass with greater force. To the extent we contend for the promises, to that extent we'll see them come to pass in God's ideal time frame. To the extent that we contend for the promises, to that extent we will grow and become people of faith and confidence, unshakable and immovable. Stand to your feet together with me. I just want to pray, pray a blessing over you and then over this house here. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Lord, first I thank you for, for Adam and Liz and your hand on their lives and for Hope Covenant. Father, whatever you have promised, whatever you have spoken to them as a couple, to this church, to this congregation, stir it afresh. Bring the fullness of it. Not our rationalized version of it, but the fullness of your promise. Stir it. Because you say it, we believe for great and impossible things. Everyone here individually, those part of this congregation that are not here today, 
Lord, what are the promises you've spoken, life promises, calling, about children, about grandchildren, about individual ministry, about breakthroughs, about promises for a region, Lord. Bring the promises back. Stir us afresh. Lord, may we, we dust off the old promises that we've lost hope about or even forgotten about. We declare that you are faithful, that you are able to bring about and bring to pass that which you have spoken. Hasten it in its time. Stir our hearts afresh. We take hold of every promise and declare that in Jesus, those promises are yes and amen. All for your honor, all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Um, you, you guys have no idea the timeliness of that word. Um, I'm actually speaking on surrender next week. And uh, Liz and I, we were just in Texas. And a year ago, a year ago exactly, we went to Texas thinking Hope Covenant was a mistake. And we had a pastor that offered us a job, slid us something across the table. Uh, it was very appealing. And as soon as I saw the paper, God said, that's not for you. And then we had another pastor that encouraged us to stand on the original promise that God gave us and to stand until God moved. And I think many of you are there right now. You're, you're at that moment where you're standing on a promise that God, that this message was incredibly timing, incredibly prophetic. Uh, if you're in a position where you're, you're standing, maybe you're watching online, you're standing on God's promises and you're saying, you know what, I'm there right now. I want you to just lift your hand right where you are. And Father, I just pray a blessing. I pray right now, Lord, that as we stand on your promises, that your promises are yes and amen. You don't make mistakes, Lord, when we know that we know that we've heard from you. I I just thank you, Lord, that there's an anointing right now for a movement, even if in the spirit, that we trust in your timing and that we make our plans, but you would ordain our steps in the mighty name of Jesus. If you believe that, would you shout amen and put your hands together? Thank you. Those of you that are watching online, thank you for joining with us. Dr. Brown, thank you so much this morning. That was amazing. Guys, God bless you. We'll be here next week, and we thank you guys for being here today. If you enjoyed today's message, I want to encourage you to like it and share it on social media or jump onto our website, hopecovenant.cc, and click on our giving link and help us continue to share the message of Jesus across the world. God bless you and have an awesome week.